It sounds silly, but you know what? The debt limit is silly. It's like saying, you know, I had dinner somewhere and I ate everything and check comes at the end of the meal. And I say, you know what? I'm only going to pay this if you give me something else. That that's It's absurd. It's playing Russian roulette with the U.S. economy. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is David Dane. You guys already know he's our favorite boomer. Um, <laughs> I am not a boomer. Okay, he's I am our, firmly uh, Gen X. Okay, they call me a boomer, David. They, they call <laughs> me a boomer. I'm a boomer too. Anyone who's not a Zoomer is a boomer. I see. Okay. It's just okay. internet culture. Regardless, you're here and you're going to educate us on what's going on uh, with this debt ceiling thing because we don't understand it. We don't know. There's a lot of people on here who have no idea what the f the debt ceiling is. So Without let's go back to the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's let's get let's, to the let's get to the beginning of this conversation. Uh, what is a it. debt ceiling? Right. So Congress appropriates money to spend all the time, whether it's on war or on Medicare or, you know, whatever it is, Congress appropriates money and says, we're allowed to spend this. Obviously, <laughs> almost every year in the existence of the United States, Congress does not take in as much money as it, it as goes out. So in order to cover that spending, the U.S. borrows money. So they, they, they sell bonds to international, national investors, and they borrow money. For the longest time in America, every time the government wanted to borrow money, Congress had to affirmatively vote to allow that. Every bond Congress had to vote for. In 1917, Congress said, okay, you can just go do your bond selling, your, your, your borrowing operations. However, we're going to put a limit on how much you can borrow. And that is called the debt limit. And uh, that can be raised, but only by an act of Congress. 80 times, I believe, over the last 80 years, practically like clockwork, Congress raises the debt limit to allow for more borrowing to cover the spending that they have already put in place. So, I mean, that's the important thing, right? Congress has already appropriated money, said, we're going to spend money on this. And all the borrowing is, is paying those bills. So uh, it, it's it's no different than, than you getting your credit card bill. You've already spent the money. You've already paid for the goods and services. And it's just a matter of paying those bills. About 10 years ago, Republicans had an idea. And that idea was, oh, this is something that the country really needs to happen. Because if you don't increase the debt limit, the country runs out of money, it goes into default, it would be financial calamity. So in Republican brain, they thought, oh, this is an opportunity. This is, this this is a, a shot. This is a weapon. We can use this to extort things that we wouldn't normally get through the regular leg legislative process. Unfortunately, Barack Obama played along with that. In 2011, he said, okay, let's have a negotiation on a grand bargain to cut the deficit. Brilliant. He, he, he had this uh, uh, negotiation with John Boehner, who was the House Speaker at the time. Ultimately, it was only thanks to the Tea Party balking at more tax increases that that didn't go through. What we ended up with was this sort of second order thing called the sequester, where they just cut spending across the board for years. And it actually had a really debilitating effect on the recovery from the Great Recession. Flash forward to now, and uh, Republicans, same situation. They have the House. Democrats have the Senate. Democrats have the White House. House Republicans think, hey, great opportunity. Now we're going to hijack the government again, hijack the full faith and credit of the U.S. government, hijack the uh, global economy 
and say, you got to give us some stuff until, uh, and that's the only way we're going to raise the debt limit. So that's where we are right now. So what happens if we don't, uh, if we don't right. pay these debts? So we go into default. Our credit rating goes down, just like if you didn't pay your credit card, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you'd owe more money. Your interest rate would go up. You'd owe more money later. Similar thing with the government. We, we would owe much more money later. Uh, in the short term, what would happen, we literally don't have the money in the U.S. Treasury to pay the obligations that we have coming right now. So on June 1st, there's social security payments supposed to go out. Contractors get paid. There are millions of payments made almost on a daily basis to meet the obligations of the U.S. government. And some of those payments would stop. It's actually uncharted territory because the U.S. has never gone into default before. But uh, any number of things could happen from, okay, we don't have enough money to pay everything on June 1st. So we're going to wait until revenues come in because, you know, money comes into the federal government in taxes. We're going to wait until that money comes in. And then when that money comes in, we'll pay the June 1st bills. And then we'll wait until we get enough money to pay the June 2nd bill. So, you know, I mean, people rely on these things, right? So, so that would be really uh, uh, catastrophic. You're talking about payments to people who work in the government. You're talking about payments to contractors. You're talking about payments like veterans benefits and social security payments. And you're talking about uh, payments, reimbursements for Medicare and Medicaid, you're talking about food stamps. I mean, it's, it's literally everything the government does that they pay for would be, you know, imperiled, at least in the short term until an agreement was made. You said this is unprecedented, uncharted territory. But as yeah. far as I understand, with my limited knowledge, wasn't there uh, maybe a similar threat uh, launched by conservatives who were sore losers in the immediate aftermath of the uh, Civil War that created... Well, they threatened. They, yeah, they threatened the th it. And yeah. so, yeah, after the Civil War, there were payments that were owed. Uh, the Confederates, uh, the, you know, the, the conservatives of their day... Uh, said, you know, maybe we'll just uh, obviate those payments. We won't pay them. And so uh, in the Civil War amendments to the Constitution, one of them being the 14th Amendment to the Constitution, they put in a little proviso. And the sentence says the validity of the public debt shall not be questioned. Hmm. Uh, in other words, you can't repudiate these debts. If someone has a claim on the federal government, they're a, they're, they're a bondholder, they're an investor, you can't repudiate that claim. So what that means for today is many people have made the argument that it is actually unconstitutional for uh, the president to not pay off these obligations that have already been laid out by Congress. Uh, if you think about it, what it forces the president to do, if we hit that debt limit, the president will have to pick and choose what things to pay and what things not to pay. Congress is supposed to set the rules on what gets, you know, what what the, they have the power of the purse, right? Mm -hmm. They are supposed to set the rules on what gets paid and what doesn't. But, you know, under the, the debt ceiling statute, if we run out of money, the president now has to do that. And that 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 essentially gives the president kind of a, a line item veto where they can say, all right, I'm going to pay this bill, but I'm not going to pay this bill. And that that itself, uh, many have said, is unconstitutional. And so uh, there are some court cases that are actually happening right now that that discuss this very idea, trying to say that the, the debt ceiling statute that was passed in 1917 
actually violates the Constitution and should be tossed out. And uh, so that's happening sort of in parallel to the negotiations between the president and House Republicans right now. That's interesting you say that. Now, I'm no big city lawyer, nor am I a constitutional (laughs) scholar, but it does seem like an immediate avenue for Joseph Robinette Biden to utilize. So um, Many have asked him to do so, and yet what he said— If you were to tell me that uh, that, that they're refusing to use that. Right. What he said consistently is that, I think I have that authority to— you know, under the terms of the 14th Amendment to continue to borrow and continue to pay bondholders. However, there would be litigation that would take too long. And in the meantime, I would, you know, we'd go, we'd hit the debt ceiling and the financial chaos that would ensue would would result. And so I'm not going to do it. Uh, the, the, the problem with him saying that is that there's already litigation. There, there is a case in Boston, the National Association of Government Employees, which are you know government workers who are threatened uh, by hitting the debt ceiling of not getting paid, of being fired, being furloughed. Uh, they have filed suit in federal court in Boston, and they have said that the debt ceiling's unconstitutional, and we're harmed by it if 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 we ever hit that. Uh, in fact, we're harmed right now because what essentially has happened is we've already hit the debt ceiling. We did it back in January, and the Treasury Department to conserve cash has engaged in what they call extraordinary measures to uh, uh, try to you know, have enough cash to pay the bills. And one of the things that they've done is there are retirement accounts that federal government employees have, and uh, they reinvest the, 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 the benefits, the, the dividends and whatever of those retirement accounts. And they are not doing that right now. They are, they are not reinvesting in those funds. And that causes a loss to those funds. And so the government employees who rely on those funds for their retirement have said, look, you're, you're costing us money right now because you hit the debt limit. And actually, this law that created the debt limit is unconstitutional. So why don't you just get rid of it? And so that's what they're asking a federal judge to do. There is actually a hearing on this next Wednesday, which is, you know, uh, the day before the 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 date june 1st has been sort of the date everyone's working with as as that's the last day that the government's going to have yeah. enough money to pay its bill another question i had was uh, so we talked about the 14th amendment and uh the biden administration's reluctance to use anything uh at their uh disposal to combat this even though they kind of like flashed it as you as you right. mentioned um they flashed it as though this was a negotiations tactic like oh yeah it's not gonna. It's not gonna be a problem because I think that that was a, a miscalculation on their part. I I think that they thought that their corporate benefactors would go back to them and be like, okay, enough, enough with this shit. Like you can't let the economy uh, I mean, implode. I, I, you don't have to think that, Hassan. They they said that explicitly yeah. that they expected corporations, banks, the kind of people that are donors to the Republican Party to go to the leaders of the Republican Party and say, knock it out, uh, knock it off. Uh, just don't do this anymore. You don't threaten the the economy uh, for your needs. Uh, uh, we need to get on with business. Unfortunately for uh, the, the White House, the, those businesses did not do that at all. And uh, that's allowed- a why do you think that's the case? I thought mm-hmm. that the businesses, the business interests would like also be on uh, on board with not imploding the economy 
Um, There's been kind of a weird complacency on the part of corporate America about this, that, oh, that, you know, this is all political talk and they'll they'll come to a decision and they'll figure it out. So there wasn't. And, and indeed, the Chamber of Commerce, when Biden was sort of flirting with saying, I can use the 14th Amendment, the Chamber of Commerce, which represents corporate America, essentially, yeah. came out with a letter that said that would be a radical usurpation of executive power. So they, they have not just been noncommittal, but but corporations have been on the side of Republicans saying you have to strike a deal rather than uh, use unilateral authority. So what I don't understand about this, and there's many, there's plenty I don't understand. <laughs> right. It's, is it's that, tough stuff. I guess, why? Like, is it really that, I mean, is it really that important for there to be cuts to, uh, to, to discretionary spending? Obviously not the military uh, budget, because right. we would never touch that. That's um, is it really it that count. important for uh, corporations to to do that? Are they are they operating on this like weird um, you know libertarian I, strategy? Like what what? I mean, I think how does it how does it impact leaders, the broader? Think, oh, sorry, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think the leaders of corporations are sort of ideologically conservative, and they're they're going along with conservative vision of limited government. Uh, if if there are cuts to the the discretionary spending budget, do you know what? Uh, some of those cuts would be on the regulatory agencies that, that uh, deal with corporations. Uh, they would be happy with cuts to food inspection and financial regulators and environmental regulators. That would be great for corporations. They could pollute with impunity. Uh, they could swindle people with impunity. So, so you know, I mean, I, I think that that's also part of it. So this goes beyond Kevin McCarthy just trying to do the classic, uh, you know, Boehner or even the classic uh, Mitch McConnell move of like obstruction without a real purpose, simply for the sake of obstruction. But it's actually to to make so the the demands that Kevin McCarthy has put forward uh, mm -hmm. with respect to cuts to discretionary spending are very real ones that you're saying corporate America also is on board with. They definitely want. I mean, to an extent. I mean, I think from McCarthy's perspective, you know, the 2011 precedent is that the debt ceiling is a loaded gun that is sitting on the table. And so why not pick mm -hmm. it up and point it <laughs> at, at the Democrats and say, what are you going to give me for me not to shoot you and the global economy along with it? I mean, that's really how you have to look at this. It's an extortion attempt. Yeah. Uh, it, it, yeah. Let's talk about what other things that the Democrats could have done that they failed to do. Because if I recall correctly, Tim Kaine, Tim Kaine in the membrane, came out and criticized right. the Democratic Party and said, why didn't we, uh, we knew that this was going to inevitably happen. Why didn't we uh, utilize the lame duck time frame that uh, we could have to, right. to actually deal with this when we had the, the numbers to deal with it? It's the worst kept secret on earth that Republicans were going to use the debt limit for their ideological end. Like they did not make a secret of this at all. Before the 2022 election, they were saying things like, "Oh yeah, we 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 think this is a good idea. This is a way for us to to you know stop this runaway spending." They said it over and over and over and over again. And, and there really weren't any defectors from that. It was the entire Republican Party that was saying, we are going to use this tool if we get the chance. You know, forget about just in the lame duck session of 2022. Going back to 2011, when this happened before and almost strangled the economy, uh, Democrats at every step of the way 
whether they were in the minority and this, you know, ending the debt limit could have been their ask or whether they had, you know, the full uh, control of the U.S. government and could have done it on their own. They could have taken steps to, you know, either raise the debt limit to a bajillion, kajillion dollars, you know, raise it to a number. Like Denmark, Denmark is the only other uh, industrialized nation that even has a debt limit like yeah. this, and they have it as an at an impossibly high number that uh, they'll never reach. So it's never a problem. So they could have done that, or they could have just said there was an old rule in the 1980s called the Gephardt rule. It was named after Dick Gephardt, who was minority leader for a time, majority leader actually of the of the House of Representatives, Democrat. And his rule was that every time Congress passes a budget, they it, they inherently say, we're going to raise the debt limit to cover the spending in that budget. So uh, it would just, it, there would not be a separate vote ever. It would just be a budget vote. And every year Congress passes a budget unless the government shuts down. And uh, so that would be an automatic way. It would essentially end the debt limit as a concern forever. So they could have done that. So they, they could have done a number of things. They, reconciliation, the, the, you know, I mean, the, there's this whole thing where you need 60 votes, et cetera, et cetera. But the budget reconciliation process can be used to increase the debt limit. Of it course, was done in the 1980s and 90s. Of course, uh, if that was uh, an avenue that the Democrats would go uh, down, we would have uh, still had the same uh, villains in the Democratic Party that could have potentially also posed the threat to uh, utilizing the budget reconciliation. Well, it's, it's uh, why they didn't. I mean, yeah, you know, they said Cinema, Joe, Joe Manchin, yeah, Bob yeah, Menendez, Maggie Hassan, yada, yada, right. yada. So, right. um, so the Democratic Party sucks. We already know that. Uh, right. They, at a certain point, at least, uh, maybe, from what you're saying, I'm just finding out about all of this, David, just now <laughs> from you. It kind of seems like the Democratic Party is, uh, at least when you look at the, the, uh, the way that they have acted or uh, reacted or refused to act consistently, it almost seems like they don't care if austerity measures are implemented and, uh, you know, they are even when they are in a position of power to do something, it feels like it's better for the Republicans to react and uh, force uh, austerity measures so that they uh, uh, can just, you know, throw their hands at the side and say, oh, we just had to preserve the sanctity of these institutions. Right. And well, you and have to say there's nothing some, we can do about it. Yeah, I mean, there, you have to say there's some complicity there, certainly on the part of the Democrats. Now, uh, you know, let's talk about what is on the table. What what we're actually talking about in this deal, which seems to be pretty close at this point. So it looks like they're going to essentially freeze federal spending at the current level for the non-discretionary defense, uh, non-defense discretionary budget. The defense budget will rise. So, you know, that's magic spending. Wait, what? Doesn't that's... Count. Exactly. It doesn't count. No, nobody, you, you, you can't, you got to support troops, right? Um, so mm. that's going to go up. But the non-defense discretionary budget was just kind of everything else. Uh, by the way, also not Social Security, not Medicare, not Medicaid. That's all mandatory spending. Yeah. This is discretionary spending where Congress can say, OK, we'll, we'll choose not to do this. It's really a tiny part of the budget. It's only about 13 percent of the overall U.S. budget is in the non-defense discretionary side of the ledger. And uh, they're going to freeze that spending. Now, you know, we have inflation right now. So if you if you have $100 today and you have $100 next year, you're actually cutting 
your purchasing power, right? Because inflation has gone up 4%, 5%. So in real terms, it's a cut, but it's a freeze of, of that spending uh, for the next two years with, with a uh, nominal like 1% increase in the second year. It's not as bad as they were asking for. De uh, Republicans were asking for a 10-year cap. So we've gone from 10 years to two, which is actually really massive in terms of the actual impact of this. If the caps go away in two years and if Democrats, you know, get a, a majority again in the House, then they can raise the uh, the budget again. That is, of so, course, if we're operating on the basis that, like, there was nothing else the Democrats could have done other than negotiate right, right. with I these mean, terrorists who are holding as, a gun to the head of the American economy and the global economy in general. Absolutely. As soon as you started negotiating you were going to get a bad deal. And this is a bad deal. And I, I don't want to sugarcoat it in any way, but relative to what we were hearing before, it's actually gotten a fair bit better. Now let's talk about some of the other things that are in this deal. In order to cover some of that discretionary spending so, it, so it's even from the last fiscal year to the next one, they're going to take uh, money that was given under the Inflation Reduction Act to the Internal Revenue Service. The IRS was given $80 billion over 10 years uh, to modernize its, its operations, to actually answer the phone, you know, to hire enough people, and also to audit the rich, uh, which, which the IRS hasn't been doing very often lately. I don't like that. Right. Well, what? Republicans really don't like that. I mean, maybe you don't like it either, but Republicans really don't like it. No, um, I love it. They have yelled about, you know, there are going to be 87,000 IRS agents running around you know, poking into all your financial uh, records, et cetera. So well, they, they thought that they were going to come with guns to their houses, like right, the 87,000 right, right. armed IRS. They, they weren't going to be nerd Drag number crunchers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're coming exactly. for your jet ski. So anyway, uh, in this deal, as we've heard about it, $10 billion of that $80 billion would be taken away. And here's how ridiculous this is. If you take $10 billion away from the IRS, you're taking away the ability for them to collect revenue. Yeah. You're actually adding to the deficit. This is supposed to be all about deficit reduction, but you're actually going to add to the deficit by taking that money away from the IRS. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. Isn't that, yeah, every dollar spent on the IRS is actually returning more dollars to the American uh, about, government's coffers, right? So how does about, that work? About, about $6 for every dollar. Huh. Um, so, yeah. So here are these fiscally responsible Republicans who have demanded that we increase the deficit by making it easier for rich people to cheat on their taxes. That's part of this deal. Another thing that's part of this deal is clawing back unspent COVID relief money. So there's about $30 billion out there that hasn't been spent. However, it was earmarked for programs like making a universal vaccine so that uh, the next coronavirus pandemic would maybe not happen. So it's a little short-sighted to, to you know, take away this COVID aid. Uh, that's another part of the deal. Another part of the deal is changes to the permitting process for large infrastructure. Uh, and it seems like uh, Democrats are getting, making it a little easier to put together transmission lines so you, you can get renewable energy from where it's produced to where it's consumed easier. But Republicans in exchange get make it a little easier to permit fossil fuel infrastructure like pipelines and oil drilling and things like that. So so we're going to pollute the earth as part of this uh, 
emerging deal. And then the last thing, which is actually probably the thing that's most in flux right now, is increasing what are called work requirements for federal benefit programs like TANF, which is the welfare program, temporary assistance for needy families, and also the SNAP program, supplemental nutrition assistance program, sometimes it's called food stamps. The only reason that you would increase work requirements so that you know, someone has to work 30 hours a week in order to get this food aid is uh, it's it's really a way to kick people off the program because it's it's a hassle. It's complicated. You got to fill out these forms. It's a way to lower the roles on nutrition assistance. So these are people who can't afford food or who just need generalized assistance to live. Part of this deal is we're going to kick those some of those people off of their benefits. So that's what the emerging deal is. And none of it is what any sane person would actually do. But Republicans are essentially holding a gun to the head of the U.S. economy, the global economy, and saying, you got to do this. Well, we got to we got to do something about uh, these these working poors. You know, they've uh, right. they've had it far too good for far too long. Um, unemployment exactly. is at an all time uh, unemployment is at an all time low. And yet we're still unrolling, you know, at the state level, at least in Republican states, uh, child labor protections so that we can, I guess, have a fresh new resource of, of children who should be working in the factory floors instead of, you know, protecting them against such uh, predation and exploitation. What could be the, the possible reason as to why Republicans want this to happen? Is it just like pure malicious uh, awfulness? Is the cruelty the point here? Or is there like a... Le not legitimate, but what is the reason as to why they would want to kick people off of SNAP coverage with work requirements when, um, you know, these people are already working in many instances? So you're just like increasing the hours that they need to work, right? Yeah. The way they've talked about it is saying, you know, we, we have a workforce problem. We need to make our economy grow. Do we, we have a workforce problem? Let me just ask you that. We absolutely do not. I mean, we, we, we have, I mean, to an extent, we have a shortage in some industries of available workers, but changing the rules around welfare and, and food stamps isn't going to change that. These are, you know, largely skilled jobs that we're, we're looking for new workers on like construction and advanced manufacturing and things like that. And, and just, this isn't going to make a dent in that it's not intended to, I mean, the, 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 what they say versus what they mean is what you have to pay attention to here. What they say is we got to get America back to work. What they mean is we think poor people who are being paid not to work, in their words, have it too good, and we're gonna we're we're gonna shut them off from their benefits. I mean, that's that's the goal here. I mean, this is very frustrating stuff. Um, yeah, kind of seems shitty that the uh, the the Democratic Party, which made a lot of promises and uh, was very well received by a lot of people, especially on Twitter and the and the mainstream media circles, as like the new FDR, kind of seems like that is that has fallen apart uh, dramatically I mean, in a spectacular we fashion. We put together this whole pop up welfare program during the pandemic. We paid people, you know, this super unemployment. Uh, we gave people stimulus checks. Uh, we helped people in an hour of need so they could stay home and stay healthy. And uh, and we even increased the child tax credit, if you remember, at the yeah, end which, of which uh, eviscerated uh, child uh, poverty. Yeah, it cut very it in bad. Half. I hated that. The children <laughs> yearn for the mines. Have you thought about All... the fact that the kids would develop important skills in the mines, though? It is true. They, they learn about teamwork. Um, but, yeah. you know, all of that stuff that I just talked about went away. Uh, all of it has been rolled back. 
we're seeing. Uh, it was so good that Mitt Romney was on board with it, right? Sorry to cut you off, but the like child was, tax credit, yes, yeah. he's he's put forward uh, proposals on that. We're seeing right now there was uh, uh, an, an extension previously during the pandemic of getting people on Medicaid so that they had some form of health insurance during the middle of a pandemic. That is being rolled back as we speak, and millions of people are losing their Medicaid coverage losing their health insurance. And all of these safety net programs that were put in place for the pandemic, and all of us said, you know, this is like a normal country where that, that protects you in case of calamity. All of those have been taken away. It's, it's, it's really depressing. And even if you think, oh, well, they made the best of a bad situation with this, this debt ceiling deal, if you look at it sort of, you know, in a holistic way, the way that the welfare supports in this country have uh, went up and then like a rubber band snapped right back down to where they were is really staggering. I mean, it, it, it uh, pairs along perfectly well with like how uh, much of a freak out we saw from small business owners, Chamber of Commerce, when they thought mm -hmm. that they could not fulfill some of these roles in restaurants, for example. And there was like probably 7,000 New York Times articles about how nobody wants to go to work anymore. And all of and that that's was signaling. Why we saw that, that's why we saw that child labor laws like being changed in certain red states. And that's why they, they cut unemployment early because they wanted to push people back to the mines. Uh, and it didn't uh, work. That was the other. Because it didn't even work. They cut up with those jobs. They'll, they have more opportunity to get the kinds of jobs that actually respect them and give them a little bit of dignity. And those Mick jobs, uh, you know, working uh, uh, at fast food or working in the service sector are just soul crushing and, and people weren't going to take it anymore. Where do you foresee this going? Uh, so what's your what's your speculation? So the Democrats so, are going to do what Joe Biden has done in the past when he Ryan Grimm has talked about this extensively, wrote about it, uh, right. the the uh, sidestepping of Harry Reid in 2012 when the Democrats did have the power in their hands to literally not. Uh, to let the Bush era tax cuts on the wealthy expire. And Joe Brandon gave them that uh, personally. He's doing a similar thing now, even though it doesn't seem like he originally intended it. It's not as bad as 2012. Yeah, I, I mean, was going to say, it, it doesn't it, seem like he also intended it to happen uh, this way. Yeah. Like, I do think that they are. They, I think they, what happened is they didn't think McCarthy was going to get his act together and pass a bill. You know, they, they never believed that McCarthy would be able to unify his caucus so that they could put something on the table as a counterpoint to the Biden budget. When they did, I think they weren't prepared for any kind of plan B. And then they started Sick. negotiating. Now, the negotiation doesn't seem as bad as it was in 2012, but it's still not great, right? And it's still unnecessary if they would have used their inherent authority under the various things that we talked about. There are even other things that they could yeah, have Yeah, I was going to say there's a coin. Uh, yeah, uh, mint the coin. You want to elaborate uh, on that? <laughs> Uh, there's an obscure law that says that the Treasury Department can mint a platinum coin of any denomination. And using this law, they could have conceivably uh, made a trillion dollar coin and put it into the Federal Reserve and uh, thereby pay down bills based you know, from that. It, it sounds silly, but you know what? The debt limit is silly. I mean, the debt limit is ridiculous. Almost no country yeah. has this. It's it's like saying I rang up a bill, you know, I had dinner somewhere and I ate everything and, and uh, the, the check comes at the end of the meal. And I say, you know what, I'm only going to pay this if you give me ice cream, you know, like I'm only going to pay this if you give me something else. 
that that's it's absurd. It's 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 playing Russian roulette with the U.S. economy and the global economy. And so and uh, so for, for some reason, the media sees certain things as silly and certain things as very serious. Give me if I'm wrong here, but it sure seems like Democrats are, I don't know, it, it, it seems like Democrats are more worried about possibly not giving Republicans this weapon down the line if they utilize whether the minting of the coin or the 14th Amendment, because that would effectively destroy this, uh, this debt limit yeah. conversation in its entirety, because then you would have established precedent and there would never be a... a uh, weapon that they could utilize like this ever again. I mean, let's, um, let's just explain how crazy this is. We're having this negotiation and, you know, it's all the things I talked about, cuts to spending, work requirements, uh, clawing back COVID aid. In exchange, they're going to raise the debt limit for two years. That's it. So in two years, they could come right back and, ha and we'll have this happen all over again. You think about this like a hostage negotiation. It's like you paid the ransom, you get the hostage release, but in two years, thugs are going to come and, and kidnap the hostage again, and then you're going to have to pay another ransom. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. And yet that's, that's what we're faced with until someone in a position of power uses the authority that appears to be available to say, we're not doing this anymore. Wow. Doesn't seem like Biden is going to be that someone, which I'm shocked. I mean, I thought he was dark Brandon, but it doesn't, he's, he's, he doesn't seem to be that guy. Medium Brandon. Yeah. He's, he's in the middle. Okay. So what's the, what do we do here? Where do we go from here? I mean, how, how do we get the democratic party in your <sighs> mind to, to actually stop reacting to the insanity that is the Republican party, the purposeful, uh, destructive behavior that they engage in? How do we get them to do the right thing? And also, what are some of the internal mm -hmm. forces, in your opinion, within the Democratic Party that's like operating this way? Are there truly no uh, Democrats out there who want to be like, for example, the, the Minnesota State uh, Democratic Party? Yeah. Uh, which has gotten yeah. a lot done with a incredibly a narrow majority in the Senate, a tremendous that's amount, right. uh, which, by the way, uh, the Democratic governor, Tim Waltz, also uh, vetoed the Uber and Lyft uh, yeah, uh, not, version of that. I mean, even even he's not dark waltz, right? But um, yeah, I mean, I think I think often Democrats don't think about these sort of structural forces, these ways that they can use to their advantage. And what we're seeing here is is that Republicans certainly have no problem using these little quirks in our system to their own ideological ends. Democrats had the debt limit available to them during Trump. The, the, the debt limit was increased three times during the Trump administration. At no time was it used to repeal the Trump tax cuts or 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 to, you know, mm. uh, it, it institute various regulations or anything like that. I'm not saying it should have been that way, but I'm saying that there's a disproportionality between how Republicans see these things and how Democrats see these things. And that disparity explains a lot of frustration, I think, from the Democratic rank and file. That's interesting. Like you said, it, it almost feels like the Democrats don't care. It almost feels like <laughs> the Democrats don't want to do these things. I don't know. Am I crazy? Like, Well, um, I mean, I think that Democrats in Washington are obsessed with seeming responsible. They want to be patted on the back in a David Brooks op-ed 
They, 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 they see that as, as central to their being. They, they are the responsible guys. They are the adults in the room. And uh, they're not going to take actions that threaten that self-image as responsible. Now, to me, the responsible thing to do when you have a legislative terrorist tell you, give me all your money or the economy gets it, the responsible thing to do to that is say, I'm not going to negotiate, right? I mean, that's that would be the responsible thing in my belief, but, and I'm gonna use every avenue of my power so that I'm not in a hijacking situation, but that isn't the road that they took. And, and now, even if you say, well, this could have been worse, it's not great, but you know, it looks like for two years, they've got uh, uh, some, some breathing room, that's still not the place where they could have been if they followed the proper steps and used every avenue of their power. And one interesting thing, I mean, you know, uh, our good friend Ron DeSantis, he, he announced for president this week, right? And there was an interview where he said, I've looked at the Constitution, I've looked at the authorities that the executive has, and I'm looking forward to getting my hands on them because I think I can use them to a degree that really takes back this country, yada, yada, yada. But the point is that that's what he's focused on, right? Looking at every avenue to make progress. This is something, you know, years ago, before Biden became president, during the Trump administration, we wrote this uh, series called the Day One Agenda with all of these things that could have been done without congressional authority. Like, like they've already, Congress has already given the authority to the president to undertake a, a number of actions. And if you go to Day One Agenda, you know, type that into prospect.org, you can, you can find this whole series of all the things that Biden could have done. And he's done about a third of them, which isn't bad, but it also it, it just doesn't show that it's his main focus. Right. And uh, I think for someone like DeSantis and, and for someone like Trump, who has said next time if I get in there, you know, I'm not going to fuck around. I'm, I'm you know, I'm going to get rid of all the uh, uh, bureaucrats that are in the deep state, et cetera. They're looking at executive power as as the way forward to uh, put their agenda into practice. They're not looking at Congress. And I, I feel like Democrats don't think that way. I mean, I don't know if they don't think that way or if they are uh, also beholden to the same corporate benefactors that the Republicans are. So therefore, um, they can portray themselves as progressive legislators whenever they are not in power. My mind always goes back to Kamala Harris being a champion for Medicare for all under the Trump administration when the Democrats had no power whatsoever. And then when push came to shove and uh, when election time came around, there were two people who were advocating for Medicare for all and the rest of the Democratic primary field directly joined the fight specifically to bomb that and yeah. and you know and now when they are in power uh, all they do is is uh, block any kind of progressive legislation from happening i don't think it's because they're like rugged institutionalists who keep getting owned over and over again i think they're deliberately bad i think they are designed to to lose because ultimately when they lose it's out of their hands it's always out of their hands it's the republicans that are ruining this country it's not them even though they do have the power to do something about it and refuse to do it and it's always like oh man i guess we flubbed it again it sucks and the media absolutely allows them to play that role by not holding them uh accountable in the way that american prospect does for example they just say oh yeah well what are the democrats supposed to do and everyone champions that and repeats that line over and over again 
and we play this song and dance as the Republican Party uh, eviscerates the the working poor. And what frustrates me, uh, Hassan, is, you know, at the beginning of this administration, they passed a one point nine trillion dollar American rescue plan, which had the increase in the child tax credit in it, which had twelve hundred dollar checks or fourteen hundred dollars. And they're supposed to be two thousand, et cetera. It was a, it was a big bill. Right. They passed the Inflation Reduction Act, which wasn't everything, but it does negotiate drug prices in Medicare. It does create a number of investments to uh, mitigate climate change. They've done these things and been praised for them in the past. And you would think that they would say, hey, when when we work together and when we actually get certain things done, people like us, right? <laughs> like, like, like. This could be a way forward, actually doing things for the benefit of the American people, actually delivering for them. And yet we 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 see Democrats fall back into these patterns of behavior, maybe because of, uh, you know, not want, wanting to rock the boat uh, from a corporate perspective, maybe because they want to just be the responsible guys and not not the wild eyed crazies like us on the left. Uh, for whatever reason, they don't seem to understand the power of making progress and and what that shows to the American people. Yeah, I just, I I think that they're doing it deliberately. It's by design. That's why there's always a rotating villain that never gets punished and, uh, and is celebrated and cherished. And then that's how you arrive at people who are even short sighted, in my opinion, like Kirsten Cinema who uh, will will get the bag thrown at yeah. her for a, a one-off. And instead of having like a long career in Congress over the course of many, many years, as she was given an opportunity, no green senators ever given. And I don't mean right. green as in like Green Party, even though she was a part of that back in the day. Uh, I mean like a new freshman senator getting the opportunity of a lifetime to put her name on a on a bipartisan 1.9 trillion, was, was a massive infrastructure spending bill. And then only to turn around and destroy the Biden agenda over and over again, and then becoming yeah. an independent or running or to, to supposedly run again as an independent. You know, that, that, that to me signals that the Democratic Party is engaging in malicious uh, incompetence. It's this negligence is by design rather than trying to, I guess, protect wow. the institutions because institutionalists, which I believe that there are many in the Democratic Party, like actual ones, not the ones that, not, not, not like the Republican Party who uses every and any avenue they can to get their uh, bidding, even if uh, they can rule uh, as, as, a, as a minority and quite literally enact an agenda that is unpopular, like right. that the overwhelming majority is actually not on board with. And even which is suffer. everything, which is yeah. everything I just told you about, like yeah. the increasing work requirements, yeah. all, all of the things, or even abortion going like, into this bill, that yeah. is unpopular. Yeah, yeah, and or and abortion. even even things that the media actually punishes them on, like because the media will not really uh, punish the Republican Party for like work requirements because they are an arm of capital, but they will actually talk about like abortion as a, as a deeply right. undesirable and deeply unpopular or book uh, banning or something. Yeah. Book banning abortions, things of that nature. And they still do it because they can do it because they've completely sidestepped the federal legislative body and uh, are utilizing state legislatures and the court system uh, all the way up to the Supreme court that they've packed with reactionary uh, judges and, and justices. 
So right. they get away with that, which inevitably erodes these supposed institutions that the inst- institutionalists care about. And if you truly were someone who is a institutionalist who wants to defend uh, the sanctity of the American government and, and regular political process, you would do something about it. So it leads me to believe that they are not real institutionalists and they don't care about it. They just care about getting the bidding, uh, uh, doing the bidding of their, their corporate masters. Uh, which are the same corporations and the wealthy that uh, pay the Republican Party as well as the Democratic Party. I mean, you're not you're not going to put me in the position of defending the Democratic Party. I'm yeah. just I'm, I'm just not going to go there. Yeah, no, uh, I, I know. I'm just trying to figure it out. I'm just asking questions. I'm completely I'm, oblivious to everything. You're doing your own research. Yeah, yeah I'm, uh, but uh, David, thank you so much for coming and informing All everybody. Right. Is there anything you, you'd like to promote? Sure. So, um, you know, we've been covering this whole debt ceiling thing at prospect.org with a daily newsletter that you can sign up for. It'll come to your your inbox, and we're doing it as as long as there's still an issue here. Until there's a resolution, we're going to be doing this newsletter. It's called X State. The X State is is the term that's used to to say this is the date at which uh, Treasury will run out of money. So we call the newsletter X State. It's a daily newsletter. And uh, if you go to prospect.org, you can sign up for it. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much, David. Thanks Thank a lot, for man. coming on.